0: Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky.
1: Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University
2: of Minnesota. Salud, this is Tina from the University of Colorado.
1: And
3: alam, greetings, this is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy
0: Fika, a
1: podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators, where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden,
3: uh, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and
0: attitude. It's all about slowing down.
2: And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat.
0: So join us.
3: Good morning, everybody. It's Fika Epidose, I think 18? We're heading into the summer, which for many people, graduation's already over with. Vacations are pending for many of us, going to some good places. It's early morning for us. This was the only time we could find that would work for all of us. So I'm hoping people actually have some snacks or a breakfast-like thing. I do because I am hungry and I haven't eaten it yet. And I've got my almond butter bar here, which I really enjoy, and a very large cup of coffee in my Vincent van Gogh-inspired travel mug which, yeah, is a little pick-me-up that
0: I need. So I've got, uh, yeah, it is a good t- snack time for me. So I have my go dark chocolate pretzel protein bar and water, but it is in a special Create Your Positivity Cup, which is a student-initiated group three or four or five years ago that focused on really an internally driving their their financial health, their social health, their physical health as a whole wellness thing. So they run these little activities and challenges and, you know, give away cool stuff like that.
1: I am a very plain Jane tea today, just a decaffeinated black tea, but I'm snacking like Jeff Cade. I have brought with me three, three, count them, walnuts, but they are chocolate dusted. So uh, (laughs) snacking like you, but better. (laughs)
0: They're only
1: chocolate
3: dusted. They're not actually coated. They're just dusted (laughs) with chocolate
2: (laughs) well i think it's the earliest i think i'm the furthest west so it's earliest here i just had some some lovely porridge but i have a delicious nice coffee and my mug was given to me by a master student at monash who did a really great project and every time i see it it's nice and sparkly and it reminds me of her and that fantastic project well speaking of fantastic projects
3: Today's topic is self regulated or self directed. There's different descriptors that could be used, but engaging and self regulated learning. And what can we do as educators to increase that? Because we know that's an important skill that everyone needs to develop to become lifelong learners. You got to be self regulated and self directed. So I'm going to turn this over to Kristen, who's been grappling with this a little bit. They're doing some things at Minnesota, I understand. So. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, in full disclosure, I did my dissertation work in self-directed learning. And so this has been with me for a long, long time. That evolved as the profession evolved and we started talking about continuing professional development. And so I did a lot of CPD work for uh, more than a decade. But now I'm turning to self-regulated learning. And I do see the, when I read the literature, I do see the kind of specificity the nuances that self-regulated learning can bring for us and for our students. So at Minnesota, we've been thinking about how students enter the program, how they transition from undergraduate to professional. And one of the things we're doing is deliberately trying to support self-regulated learning. So for me, that means that we're not only helping them with process, the process of learning and planning their learning, but also thinking about their motivation and thinking about their self-beliefs. How is it that they see themselves as a learner?
3: So Kristen, what do you see as the distinction between self-directed learning and self-regulated learning and why your efforts now are more on developing self-regulated learning skills rather than self-directed learning skills?
1: Sure. So I think in self-directed learning and CPD, we focus a lot on process. So set some goals, develop a plan, your learning plan? What resources do you need? How are you going to know when you've been successful? So we focus a lot on process, which is great. I think what self regulated learning adds is thinking about self-motivation, thinking about this being not an innate ability, but something that I can, a skill set that I build over time. So how do I understand my motivation? How do I make sense of Feedback, how do I go about learning? How do I learn? And having that self-talk and that self-reflection to go along with process. Yes. Seven months?
3: Yes. It's a, a, an element of metacognition layered onto the process part of what self-directed learning is about. I, I teach a personal and professional development course, and we, we hit on these topics of what is metacognition what is self-directed learning, what are the features of adult learners, and the importance of autonomy. We talk a little bit about motivation and motivation theory. But what we don't get to, because it's a one-credit course with a smorgasbord of topics that we need to, quote, cover, is any practice and feedback and real discussion as we all know, people don't develop a skill without practicing the skill pretty regularly. And I don't think that's built into the curriculum as much as it should be. There, there are times, there are a few project-oriented things, but I, I, even then, I don't think people practice the skill of thinking about their motivation, thinking about their self-talk, which are equally important as the process.
2: Yeah, I think as students are coming into our program, like like KJ, maybe there was this expectation that this skill set existed on entry. And there was a lot of concern by the teachers that it didn't. And I, I suspect this was affected by the pandemic as well. But we began to say, OK, if this is an approach, if this is a mindset, if this is a skill set we want them to have. Then how are we bringing it into our technical courses? Because we really weren't. We we were focusing on the technical and not so much the meta. And we've been trying to get almost every course to consider. And I would say we've been mildly successful in bringing those scaffolds in and talking about it. Very much, you know, like holding up that sign. <laughs> this is self-regulated learning. On the other side, I I taught an elective this semester, and it was something they chose to take. And my co-directors who were in Montana and at Monash, we were really jazzed about giving students more autonomy and choice because I felt like many health professions courses are so regulated that they just don't get very much choice. And the choice which we thought would be free and exciting and motivated. About halfway through the course, we realized that we had to, to narrow the focus a little bit because they, they found that very scary. They, like me, when I ski, I like a narrow little road. They thought that vast, I can choose anything, was very scary, not freeing. And once we sort of figured out that was what the, what the challenge was, we kind of talked through that a bit. And we did give them some guardrails, but that's where I I began to think about, okay, when do we start learning these skills? How is that amplified? Is it the role of the technical teacher? Should these skills be scaffolded through pharmacology, medicinal chemistry, as well as pharmacy practice and the social sciences? Or is it something that you're expected to have the day you walk in the door? And if not, you will struggle. Or is it something, Tina, you think that we should have
3: a specific course, a set-aside course, you know, concentrated time, and, and have it parallel some of the technical courses so that students can practice the skills with somebody who really can teach it and give them feedback and all of that? I don't know whether you integrate it. I mean, this is an (laughs) age-old argument. Uh, Almost every, do you integrate it or do you pull it out and call it out separately?
0: So I don't know how great or poor of a job we do with our students in developing and promoting self-regulation. I do know our curriculum 2020 was really built on the premise of self-directed learning in the sense that We wanted to remove a lot of the hand-holding through the curriculum and put the accountability and responsibility back on students. I think one of the things we found is some are really good at that and some students are are not, but I'm probably showing my ignorance here a little bit. I don't know how much we do from a programmatic standpoint of developing our students. I think it may occur... Faculty member to faculty member in bits and pieces of lectures and courses, but in terms of a focused effort, we probably don't do as great as we should.
1: I think that's that's completely natural, though. Like we are receiving students; they have at least two years of university, if not a, a prior degree, and so it's very convenient to think that these skills have already been developed. But I think the pandemic has has changed the student's progression through the educational system. I read an interesting article that specifically talked about the challenges to self-regulated learning as students changed modality. So they move from believing that they're going to be face-to-face to being totally online and what were the effects on self-regulated learning. And it wasn't just that I hadn't gained the skills coming into the program and so I didn't have them. It was the inability to transfer. So I'm I'm used to working in a particular context. And now that context has been disrupted. I'm used to certain behaviors like going to class early and studying and then having class. And that's disrupted. I was motivated by my peers and now I'm not with my peers. And so all of these things that support self-regulated learning were gone during the pandemic or changed. And students had to grapple with that
2: yeah I was talking to another group of students on Friday, and they're just lovely, but we were talking about something they were really confused about, and I was like, well how did you how did you seek out more information?" And they get, just got really quiet and they said we just we just didn't and I thought, "Oh, okay, so the relationship between self-regulation and innate curiosity about a topic, and I wonder what that overlap is it was something that they were strongly motivated to, to learn or, or to learn more deeply than the test, how, how much seeking would they do?
3: Mm-hmm. There's a graphic in Medical Teacher, which we'll, we'll post this in the show notes, but I thought it was a nice graphic because it broke self-regulated learning into several phases. When you see self-directed learning, it's the same sort of thing. There's the preparation phase, the actual performance phase, and the self-reflection phase that occurs afterwards. But in that, in each of those processes, they talk about different aspects of the preparation. And a part of it is motivation, beliefs, a task analysis, all those metacognitive skills, again, that we don't talk often about. Or get people even to think about, you know, I do this very brief cursory introduction of what this is in a class and then somehow expect people to develop this set of skills. And I think that's obviously very unreasonable. So I'm curious what explicit things that any of you have tried to develop, particularly this preparation of forethought set of skills I think we've done more on the reflection end of thing by having reflective journaling and all that. But this forethought set of skills, I think, is underdeveloped for most. Jeff has got his thinking cap on.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think of a single example <laughs> and I have yet to come up with one.
2: Well, and Stuart, I think that goes back to your question of, is this integrated or is it over here? And. Throughout my career, my first academic position, I was managing a skills laboratory program and we took all the skills out of the courses and put them into one course that, that happened over here. And then at other places I've worked, we pulled all the skills back out of the skills laboratories, back into the courses themselves. And I I think it's both and I you know, I think you can have some very deliberate instruction, and that might happen outside of your pharmacology course, but I think if if students aren't seeing it applied in pharmacology and medicinal chemistry, etc., then it just sounds like, okay, this is something that happens in this box over here. When I go to y- Dr. Yankee's class, I talk about this, and then when I go to Dr. Kane's class, I don't, and I think it's probably something that our teachers can learn to be more explicit about in general. I
1: think in terms of of preparation, we have marked milestones in the curriculum where we say, okay, you're 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 moving from here to there. And so we're gonna stop right now and think about like going into ABPs. So we might have an activity where we'll say, Okay, dear student, look back on your performance in the first three years. Look back at those courses, look through those notes, think think about what was covered and what what were your strengths and what are your areas for improvement? Because you're going into APPEs now and you have the opportunity to to shore up some of those areas where you're not completely confident and you have opportunities to ask for things on your rotation. So let, let's be prepared in that way. And I think what's been powerful about that exercise, first of all, having them look back and think back and those that do the the work diligently and pull out course lists and and things like that and do the reflection work obviously have a a stronger outcome but we also ask them for the evidence so i can believe certain things like i'm not good at pharmacokinetics well what's the evidence of that is it is it your personal discomfort or is it actually performance on exams i think having that kind of preparation at milestones has been interesting but i think we need to do more like you're saying that runs alongside every day Mm because we're trying to build a habit right we're not Mm -hmm. trying to just like saying at at moments in your career you should stop we Mm -hmm. want this to be a habit and so how do we integrate that with with our modules with our courses and that's what we're playing with now
3: yeah we did a project some years ago at maryland who knows at the university of maryland looking at self-directed learning skills and habits. And it wasn't self-regulated. We looked more at the process skills that students would have and whether advanced pharmacy practice rotations enhance those skills. Thinking that since advanced pharmacy practice rotations, is a lot of autonomy, there's a lot of room to do things that you were interested in, And our premise was, our hypothesis, that self-directed learning skills would improve over that year. It did not. It didn't change one iota. And so just putting people into an environment where the opportunity to be more self-directed does not change self-directed learning behaviors at all. And so I firmly believe it's something that you have to develop. You have to make people aware that you have to develop it. You have to practice it. Just simply putting people in a place where they can doesn't mean they will because they don't know how. So what I like, I really like what you're doing, Kristen. It's getting people to think about it and prepare them for the potential of doing things differently. And I think that's what's kind of missing for many of us.
0: And how challenging it actually is to do that, given that most students come in the program with 14 to 16 plus years of this is how I do school which probably for most of them hasn't involved a whole lot of self-direction and then suddenly thrust into a different environment. But school still looks the same, right? They still they still go to class. They still listen to lectures and they do assignments and they take tests. So differentiating it would be you have to do that intentionally. And I think we start seeing that, or at least I see it and hear it from students near the end of their third year when they're getting ready to go to Appy's and then they realize like things are different. And that's when the thinking starts. And some of them obviously start thinking that earlier, it just becomes more prominent and urgent at that point in time. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I was just laughing because I can remember one time talking with students at the beginning of of the program about high yield study strategies and being more metacognitive. And I was talking about the strategies that they've used, the highlighter, that's their number one tool, the highlighter. I was like, the highlighter is not going to help you very much. There are a couple of times memorizing drug names, things like that, okay. But the highlighter is not your primary tool in pharmacy. And the session right after mine, like the Alumni Association came in and said, we're going to give you some gifts. We're going to give everybody a highlighter. (laughs) One place that I have seen some systematic change was at at the program I worked at at Monash. They have something that's called a skills coaching program. And they have eight core skills in their program, the acronym is Power It Inc. and the R is Reflective Practice. So again, this does sound like it's at the end, not at the beginning, not preparation for learning. But students meet three times a semester with a skills coach and they have to prepare by doing some reflection, getting some feedback, and at first, it is hard ass. <laughs> but all of a sudden, they are approaching their learning. They bring it into their other classes. And because they have about 300 students in a cohort, every faculty member has to be a coach. <laughs> so it's also changed how the teachers approach even talking about that. Just having a framework that everybody speaks a similar language, mm-hmm. and there's, there's really no escape from the self-regulation, mm-hmm. I think has been pretty powerful.
3: Yeah. I'm glad you brought up coaching because I'm actually going yeah. through a coaching program right now, mm-hmm. Coactive Coaching, and this idea that we all create from our own energy the direction that we take. And with coaching, at least in most coaching models, it is about asking good questions to get people to think and have them generate what they're going to do and what they think of themselves and what their motivations are and what their skills and strength that they have and what they need to work on. All those things are a part of the model. And at least in coactive coaching, there is no advising. You never bring up something they could do. Yeah, oh. It's all on them. <laughs> and that is super hard as a faculty member. I mean, this is one of the skills that I have to work on myself is not providing advice, not giving them direction. But this is a, a terrific skill to be more self-generative in terms of your thinking, preparing, reflecting. So anyway, I I find it interesting, and I, I wonder if, as they've done at Monash, is it something that we build into and teach teachers how to be more coaches rather than Here's the answers.
1: Yeah, I like where we're going with this. Clearly, we've all tried different things to support academic skills. We have an academic skills coach, but students need to go to them. <laughs> you know, like and and so you're kind of having to to say maybe and you don't want to, I I could benefit from an academic skills coach when you're, you know, sixteen years into your academic career. So Mm-mm. that's that, that's a barrier. And I I like what we're saying that like How do we make this a part of what we do? Make self-regulated learning a part of the expectations of the program. It could be, a course, but I think we all recognize the difficulties of a course and even an integration. With something like self-regulated learning, I can't help but think about how individualized it needs to be. And so if we keep just, you know, giving it out to everyone in mass, that might not help them. Make the connections to the things that they need to do, especially when we're dealing with things that feel very abstract, like talking about reflection and talking about what are parts of the model is self judgment. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I, I don't want to do that. You know, like there's so many scary things and abstract things. But if we brought it down to a person to person conversation, what could happen?
0: Yeah. So this also. St- I mean, it sounds like a, an, an upstream issue. Like, ideally, we wouldn't have to st- start the process when students get to hour or so, but where or when in someone's educational career should this begin? And obviously, it's a long, it's a long process, not something like, well, we're going to teach this in third grade, and then they're good, but at yeah. some yeah. point, it has to begin, and ideally, that's not in the first year of their professional program.
3: No. I know my son was getting a little of this in middle school, and I don't know how commonplace it is, talking a little bit about metacognition and judging one's own performance, pre-planning for learning, uh, thinking about what one needs to have, what your strengths are, what resources you have available. A little bit of that was done. I didn't see it reinforced, though. I, I saw it in, I think it was seventh grade, and I was kind of amazed at it. This was part of the homework is go home and think about these things. But then it wasn't really reinforced, and then my son stopped doing those sorts of things. <laughs> and, and so how do you bake it into the educational process enough without generating a huge stream of work for us to look at and oversee? That I think that's the scary part for us. It's so individualized, and how do you hold students accountable for it? I mean, what would be the process of doing that? It just seems overwhelming from my my point of view as a workload issue. Uh, and yet we know this is the key. This is like the key to, to a lot of things.
1: And how do we create some kind of system, right? And yes, we need to deal with the volume issues if they're writing plans or whatever, like somebody needs to respond to that. From a teaching perspective, that's onerous. But from a learner's perspective, how do we help it to not seem like busy work. Right. Yeah.
2: I, you know, I was, uh, my fifth grade math teacher in Macomb, Mississippi, passed away very recently. She was a tough math teacher, but I'm very, very good at long division because that's when I learned it. And she taught us these strategies, but it was very much a, a coaching model and how beneficial that was earlier. And I wonder about the role
1: of just prompting students to, to do the kind of thinking. How how do you learn? We we kind of stop there. How do I how do I learn? But what am I confident in? What do I find challenging? What are the strategies? What are the strategies that I can use? And we can all come up with one strategy pretty easily. We generate multiple strategies. You know, if this one isn't working, do I know what my other alternative is? And helping students with their thinking about their learning, like, how does that get prompted in our systems? I think we see ourselves as content experts and not necessarily teaching experts or learning experts. And that might be part of the, the conflict here is that, you know, we're, we're kind of assuming that students can do these things and we don't see ourselves as being in the place or being qualified or prepared or it, that it's our responsibility yeah. to to help with these learning issues.
3: Yeah. Back to the coaching model is maybe the transformation that we need in higher education is content expertise becomes less important because that expertise, that information is readily available out there. And what we really need to transform higher education and even education in general is folks who are able to help people develop these skills. Probably through a coaching model, because it's so individualistic to explore these ideas about yourself and express them and come up with things that you're going to be committed to doing, taking action towards, and then having some accountability, coming back to a coach and say, okay, the last time we met, you talked about this. How did it go? What are your feelings about that? What did you learn from that? Even if you didn't implement it and didn't do a darn thing, why? What was the things that got in your way? All of those things are so helpful to a student, and yet it's not the model that we use in education. we We pour a lot of information at people, and they don't have a lot of opportunity to practice these kind of skills. So, Kristen, did you want to do some summary comments while we kind of conclude today?
1: Well, I want to maybe add one other thing as I've looked at self-regulated learning there's different models for how this can be developed. And one of them I find really powerful. It talks about how there's a process where we're preparing, we're performing, and we're reflecting. Great. But as part of that process, we need to be aware of the kind of what's going on cognitively for us, what's going on in in our minds. And the student also needs to be aware of their behaviors, like what, what is it that they are doing or as Stuart points out not doing and how does that play into their learning and what what are kind of the affective things going on like if I have this really angry response to my grade can I can I understand that can I stop and be like whoa what just happened and why did that happen and how am I going to manage the situation I think that speaks to the self-regulation specifically the kind of emotions that go along with learning, as well as the motivation that may need to be developed. And then there's, in the, in the fourth part of this model, the contextual aspects. And I think that's where COVID really hit some people, is that context changed. And if I sit in a certain place, it means to me, now it's time to study. But now you've thrown the context away. You've thrown the environment away. I don't have my study group to ask questions of. And so, how do I, when context changes, how do I change in response? How do I use new strategies? So, I think those, those elements, I think are really powerful to us as teachers to think about what's going on cognitively, what's going on behaviorally, what's going on effectively, and what's going on contextually. And how can we help students think through all those elements and how they are kind of a tangle that they need to manage and understand?
0: So this is kind of fascinating to me because all of these last few comments from Kristen have mirrored and or mapped exactly to a book that I'm currently reading and I'm reading it really slowly and it's Mental Training for Ultra Runners and all of the self-regulation aspects of preparing ahead of time for things that may happen and how you're going to react when those things happen in the moment when you're feeling something, recognizing that you're feeling something and then recognizing how to deal with it after it's over, figuring out the things that caused you problems or the things that worked well and then implementing them back the next time. So I could take that book and lay it right on top of make it mental training for learning The same processes and cognitive skills and everything still maps exactly.
3: Right. And that's why I say this is so fundamental to so many things that we do. We're we're creatures of learning. Fundamentally, we're always learning. What we not mastered, many of us, are the skills of learning. We just naturally came about it and we don't understand how we do it. And so does developing the skills and understanding how we do it make us much better at it? I think it does because there have been some experiments, and we'll share it in the the show notes, where if you make it more explicit and teach the students how to do self-regulated learning, their performance gets better. So it is possible to teach people the skills and if you can give them one-on-one coaching because that's what they need because everyone's circumstances are different. Their outcomes are different. And then they take that skill forward, hopefully, and continue to use it to become the ultra runner of learning <laughs> throughout the rest of their life, you know, but it takes time and practice and, and reinforcement.
1: I think that was a beautiful summary there, Stuart. And I love Jeff's connection to the athletic world, because how much easier would it be for students to appreciate self-regulated learning? if they understood it in the context of sports. And of course, you would do this in sports. So why wouldn't you do this in a learning context?
3: Yeah, that's a metaphor we need to bring forward. Thank you so much, Jeff, for bringing (laughs) that to us. All right. We are going to take a little summer break. I don't know. We'll see. You may be surprised when our next episode comes (laughs) out. But we really appreciate our audience. And uh, yeah, we hope everyone has a wonderful summer. Thanks, guys. Thanks.
1: Bye, everybody.
3: Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations.
2: If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us.
0: You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fica, but please be kind. This is a safe space.
1: Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Pharmacy
0: Bye for now. Namaste. vidanya
2: Au revoir.